I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. I manhandle that little baby. It's football and other F words. I am your host, Michael Gillum. Zach Lyons is also here with me. We are brought to you by Bishop Sycamore High School. We're a real place. Definitely send us money, preferably cash or a certified check or raw credit card numbers, whatever you want. That's exactly where we're going to start, Zach, is Bishop Sycamore. I'm throwing people in legs first into the deep end. I thought I thought we were brought to you by Pope Redwood. <laughs> I just... We're going to discuss a lot today. Bishop Sycamore, definitely we're going to get into, obviously, Cam Newton, some other AFC South news. Um, and then to kind of wrap the podcast up surrounding the Titans' 53-man roster, um, we're going to bring in Justin Mello and Justin Graver of the Music City Audible, who are also with us at Broadway Sports Media. They're going to give us an in-depth breakdown. Zach and I are going to give you our reaction. So quite a bit to get to. Um, but let me start by Zach. Are you having a lovely day? It is a lovely day. Uh, I, I always enjoy roster transactions because they're just flooding the timeline with breaking news. And then like all these stupid ass tweets about someone getting cut. And then the team being like, yes, we do want you on the practice squad though. Like every tweet yesterday was such as such player gets cut. Such as such players wanted back on the practice squad. Like, Okay, we we get it. It, it, it. We we know that all the teams want to be nice and say, "Oh, we want to have you back." There are a few shocking ones, like Cam Newton. Uh, I thought Travis Fulgham getting cut was pretty shocking, but for the most part, I mean, th- these guys that are getting cut. You know, I hate that people are losing their jobs, but they will end up on practice squads somewhere. Some of them even land on the final fifty-three. It's I know it's a very big day for those in the media that are scrambling to try to be first, which is great. But for most of us, it's not a huge surprise. Like you said, there's the Cam Newtons, which that was, that was definitely a surprise. Um, and we'll get to, but yeah, for the most of us, it's, eh, yeah, I kind of expected that, but you're exactly right. Every team wants every person back on the practice squad. I wanted one cut yesterday to be like, Des Fitzpatrick is cut and the team has told him he is banned from the facility. And we're taking your card. <laughs> like I, that's, I wanted one player to be like, they have a restraining order against them. Well, I'm just ready for a couple of the Bishop Sycamore players to get their shot in the NFL. And uh, I think this is a perfect time for a few of them to get picked up. If you've been living under a rock or you haven't been on social media in the last 24 hours, I really, really feel sorry for you because this Bishop Sycamore high school story will not go away. And it, it, it had me entertained all day yesterday when I could get on social media with all the jokes that were coming out. So let me kind of break this down. Bishop Sycamore high school was, or played IMG Academy. I believe it was, was a Saturday night or Sunday night on ESPN. I think it was Saturday. So yeah. IMG Academy is in Florida. And listen, I'm going to be honest. I didn't discover that they were a thing until two years ago. Uh, my brother brought it up to me and I looked up and it's this absolutely massive high school in Florida, which is basically just like a, a future pro athlete factory. I mean, they specialize in athletics, mainly football. So they <laughs> scheduled a team to play out of Ohio called Bishop Sycamore High School. 
and ended up beating the absolute hell out of them 58 to nothing to which ESPN and, and forgive me, I'm blanking on the announcer's name in the third quarter as one of the Bishop Sycamore players was showing being like winded on the field was commenting that we can't verify a lot of Bishop Sycamore's story. The story being that they had some D1 athletes on board, that some of these guys were slated to go to some bitty, you know, pretty big name colleges. ESPN basically kind of dumping out there like, we can't stand behind the product that we were lied to to put out here. So here's what it kind of boils down to. Bishop Sycamore's not a real place. This is not a high school. This is a high school that is basically an LLC being run out of a duplex. And that's not being, being, being cute. It's actually registered to a duplex. So as we get into this, please note that little caveat, which is a huge caveat. This is not a real place because the media is treating this as supposedly in the story is unraveling it's not a real fucking place it's not real so just keep that in mind but first and foremost zach like what goes through your head when you read this well the first thing that i picture that really goes through my head is the three of us including mike donning football pads and helmets going out there and playing against a bunch of high school kids but it's not even that it's not even that this is like a bunch of 30 to 40 year old men playing or playing football against, you know, high school kids. It's that they fucking lost. <laughs> like they lost 58 and to zero. <laughs> like got depleted on national TV. Like I, I get that these guys pulled off one of the greatest schemes of our lifetime. I mean, this is like something out of it's always sunny in Philadelphia in my mind. And it's like a huge, massive scheme. And they they duped ESPN, which I'm not surprised because ESPN has its own issues to, that they're sorting through, and they let something like this fall through the cracks, which is a pretty big miss. This is like an drafting Isaiah Wilson the first round miss by the ESP by ESPN. And in my mind, though, all I'm thinking is like our fantasy league, like a few of the guys in our fantasy league, like going out there and trying to be. Could you imagine you and Pads? With your full beard coming out of the helmet and ESPN airing you on TV playing against high school kids. <laughs> I mean, as okay, l- l- let me let me try to back up to put this clear picture together because the more I read about it, even this morning, the more deep diving I'm gonna do today and probably waste a lot of my own time. But so let me start. I cannot find the 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 kids' tweets. Um Someone on social media and then um, a local news station in Ohio found a kid from California who had actually transferred to this Bishop Sycamore High School in 2018 for his junior year. He moved across country. His mother basically just a single parent. She basically, you know, agreed to it. She thought this was great. It sounded like it was a D1, you know, football factory like IMG. And when he showed up, I want to believe he showed up in like June. The football season was supposed to start in August. It started late. They were practicing in facilities that he believed that they were basically just sneaking into to practice. They were living in hotels. As they were living in hotels, they started to realize that the reason why they were moving hotels is because their athletic director slash head coach was writing hot checks. They were going to Walmart and Kroger and all that and stealing food to eat there were like 20 or 30 guys sleeping on the floors in 
after they left a hotel, they were staying in some people's houses, which were like empty. It's so fucking insane. So I say that to say this. CBS put out an article yesterday that kind of dives into the whole thing. So let me just read this paragraph. In the fallout of the controversy, Bishop Sycamore fired head coach Roy Johnson. The school (laughs) announced a decision on Tuesday that the school's athletic director, Andre Peterson, said a lot of things contributed to Johnson's firing, including the coach's injury uh, tracking and a pending fraud charge. This isn't a real school. I got a better headline. I just, I'm dying. I don't even know where to start. Like, okay, they're at athletic director a reporter should have immediately asked Andre Peterson who are you are you actually Roy Johnson are you <laughs> are you firing yourself this, this is so absolutely bananas insane and I, I'm gonna spend the whole day reading I'm gonna be googling Andre Peterson in about 20 Here, minutes here's one for Fox Sports that just got published two hours ago Bishop Sycamore loses four football opponents amid controversy Bishop Sycamore <laughs> schedule in shambles in shambles after allegations it scammed its way onto ESPN. And listen. One of my my favorites here. Ohio governor is concerned whether Bishop Sycamore meets certain minimum standards. You mean like existing? They had a schedule filled with top-tier programs across the United States. But after losing to IMG Academy 58-0 and the revelation that school duped a marketing agency to be put on into a national television slot, the handful of teams have reconsidered playing the school. We, I quote, we had been doing a lot of researching, and after discussing it with our coaching staff, we decided to cancel that game with Bishop Sycamore because they have ineligible players and would be a liability issue. We think this is the right decision. Dematha Carolina President James R. Day told USA Today. I just, where, where this ultimately gets really funny to me, it's funny on multiple levels, but to me what's so funny is on the ESPN piece. A, ESPN has basically said next to nothing since this has happened. There's no articles, no mea cupola, no. I, I would think the worldwide leader in sports at this point would basically be like, okay, look, we got scammed and here's our own deep dive into what has happened. They basically, they've been pretty quiet. Oh, oh we got, I got an ESPN statement. We regret that this happened and have discussed it with Paragon, which is the marketing company, which secured the matchup and handles the majority of our high school event scheduling. They have assured us that they will take steps to prevent this kind of situation from moving forward. The worldwide leader in sports is blaming this on a marketing company, on a marketing company. You're telling me that they, they sent a production team to go cover this game. There wasn't one PA there wasn't one assistant. There wasn't one some staffer who was going to get coffee. No one cracked Google in the months leading up to this. Spent five minutes looking up this school. Okay, just let me let me stop with the school. If you go to Bishop Sycamore's website, it is atrocious. For high school website standards, it's atrocious. The About Us page is blank. Like, I, I don't... <laughs> it just blows me away that ESPN... Either ESPN knows that they got conned leading into it and they just, it was too late to pull out or they're basically admitting that they just did zero research, showed up and did it and are now trying to blame it on a marketing team. Do you want to read what the, uh, the founder director of the school has said in a statement? I mean, the school's not, the school's not a scam. He's pushing back on the allegations. (laughs) The school's a scam. 
And this is Peterson, the director. There's nothing that I've gotten out of this that would constitute it as a scam because I'm not gaining anything financially from what we're doing. The reality of it is that I have a son that's also in the program and has been in the program for four years. If it's a scam and the kids are not going to school and not doing what they're supposed to do, then I'm literally scamming myself. And most importantly, I'm hurting my own son. So when people say stuff like that, I would literally be taking my son's future and throwing it in the trash. I just, to top all this off, someone leaked the, or I don't know if leaks the right word, but someone put out and had footage of the pregame tunnel quote speech that the head coach gave to Bishop Sycamore before they ran out on the field against IMG. Now I am paraphrasing, but I'm not far off the mark here. It basically consisted of this is a war. We're going out there to take fucking lives. We're going out there to commit murder. This is a stick up. Show these bitches what's up. Literally the phrase, this is a stick up was used. Like this is sounds like a pregame speech for the last boy scout. What are we doing? Uh, it just, it, the whole thing is incredible. The kid who I referenced earlier about them living in, in, in hotels, I left out the best part about, he was saying that he was surrounded by 19, 20 and 21 year old guys. People who had either like dropped out of high school had no high school eligibility left had left high school to go to college or whatever, essentially JUCO or, or some sort of in-between <laughs> JUCO athletics. And that led to just so many jokes online yesterday of Daryl from the warehouse got his ankles broke on live TV. And now he's back driving a forklift on Monday. Like no one just saw his ass on the field. It, it's, I just, it's so much. This is the Manti Teo fake girlfriend story of our decade. And I'm going to soak it up for as long as possible, mainly because I want ESPN to have to never forget this. It's a company of multiple thousands of people. No one cracked Google and could have, I mean, you could have figured this out in 10 minutes. It's all out there. This isn't even hindsight's 2020. It was all out there before. All you had to do was look it up. The... <laughs> I'm going through Bishop Sycamore's uh, timeline right now. They joined in March 2019, and I mean, it's just the yeah. way, it's just ridiculous. This whole story is crazy. You can't even find a Bishop Sycamore High School website anywhere. I mean, on the even on the front page of Google's, it just goes to Max Preps or one of these many stories. <laughs> uh, the the coaches they all look like they just graduated high school, and then. The the kids themselves that are playing or whatever these whatever classification these players are, whether they're young adults or kids or or grown adults, I've I've heard that there were 30 year olds playing. I don't know if that was just a joke, but everybody looks so out of their element and out of their league on a football team that has apparently produced D1. There is a picture of a running back going up against a wall of uh players from another team i think it was from this weekend it may have been uh their unofficial home opener but the the guy looks so much smaller than the rest of them i mean it's literally like if i was going up against a bunch of brock lesners and running the ball and trying to get past them or derrick henry's for football people that know derrick henry obviously so I, I let me apologize and back up a little bit espn does have an article out um that it looks like they put out yesterday that kind of glosses over a lot of what we've just discussed here. It definitely does not dive into the fact that this is, again, a very fake place. 
it really just kind of haphazardly puts together and again in the first paragraph throws out ESPN and Paragon, the company that works to schedule and deliver high school matchups to ESPN. I mean, like they just immediately drive the dagger right back into Paragon as they rip into this article. It's, I just, if go, go down the rabbit hole, do yourself the favor. Um, our now retired colleague, Mike Miracles uh, said he was diving into <laughs> Ohio high school, like football forum just today and, and discovered just a wealth of bullshit information I, do yourself the favor look up bishop sycamore pour yourself a cup of coffee it, it is a fantastic read because this is one of the stupidest things to come about in my lifetime and i want so much more out of it it's it's beautiful 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 speaking of beautiful urban meyer just came right out and said that player vaccination status played a role in and Jacksonville Jaguar roster cuts, which kind of made my eye twitch yesterday when I heard that because, A, okay, what head coach didn't have to make that decision, right? But he just said it out loud. And, of course, now the NFLPA says that they are launching an investigation into it. Just bring it on. Like, it's everything. I I can't. Two weeks is going to take so long to go by for me to watch the opening season drubbing. Well, no, they're not even going to drubbing. They play the Texans. Whatever. I'm ready to get this shit show underway officially. It is. It is beautiful to see what's going on in Jacksonville. It seems like almost every day or every week we get a new story about either more, more and more players coming out and hating Urban Meyer. And then now you have Urban Meyer putting his foot in his mouth with a huge rookie mistake saying that, yeah, sure, we cut people and took their vaccination status into effect. We, we wanted to get them out of here. Okay, like, we understand that coaches are doing this, but when you openly admit it, I don't know if it violates anything with the NFLPA, but the NFLPA sure does think it does. Um, I, I know that technically, I guess, the teams are considered their own business and ownership's their own business, so... I don't know if there's much that the NFLPA can really do. They may be able to file a couple grievances, get a couple paychecks or something out of it. But for the most part, this is such a rookie mistake. I mean, this is not only that, this is one of the dumbest mistakes I've ever seen a coach make that was not in game. And if he's making these decisions off the cuff to and basically crumbling under the spotlight of a microphone. Just wait till he has to make a big decision in an NFL game and just gets it wrong constantly. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's a beautiful disaster. I I am just so I'm addicted. It's like the, the, the continuation of bad Colts news. I'm addicted to it. Anything with the Texans. I want more of it. Like, give me give me all this disaster and spare me these fans that are like, well, I want the Colts at their best or I want this. Listen, how many of times have we played the Texans or the Colts or the even the Jaguars and not been at our best and got our asses handed to us? I do not care what it takes to sweep this whole division. I do not care what it takes to sweep the Colts. I do not care. They could trot the... They could pull a grad assistant coach, sign him to a contract or whatever, kind of like what – um oh, crap, what's a school that's doing that? There's some college school that is pulling a grad assistant to oh, play quarterback or uh, something. South Carolina, Yeah, isn't South it? Carolina. <laughs> I don't care if they'd signed a coach to a one-day contract to go out there and play quarterback. 
I don't care if it's Frank Reich that goes out there and plays quarterback and we break his hip. I do not care. I want the Titans to win no matter what. I don't care how it happens. If it's a full, against a full roster of great Colts players, fine. That's great. If it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of jagoffs, I don't care. <laughs> like, let's just go and win games. You're not some noble fan because you want to play people at their best. Get over yourself. Get off your high and mighty horse, you fucking loser. <laughs> so let's move on to Indy, where everybody's hurt and everybody has COVID. <laughs> Love it. The, it's the entire team. If they're not injured or losing bones in their feet, which seems to be everyone, then they're all getting COVID and all passing it to each other. And I cannot, of course, I can't find the author of the article, so I wish I could attribute it, but the Indy star put out a, an opinion piece a couple of days ago that essentially says that if players like Carson Wentz are going to be selfish and not get vaccinated, I'll pack their bags and drive them to the airport because you're wasting the team's time. You're wasting our time as fans. I, this started, of course, a shitstorm within their fan base of, oh, this is why the Indy Stars are rag and I'll never read it again and blah, blah, blah. And then a lot of people saying, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I kind of have to agree here. Look, <clears throat> let's, let's leave out the whole thing about the vaccines. That, that has been talked to death. But essentially, you've got this one item that you can check off to, to try to make the team a more successful entity and you're refusing to do it. I agree. Carson Wentz is, is a disaster. He's an injury disaster. Now he's a COVID disaster. Just a disaster the airport. Well, here's, here's the problem with this whole vax versus unvaxed argument. And well, vaccination people could still get it and they can still miss time. Here, here's the thing. When you're an unvaxxed player, and let's say, let let's let's use an example of Tannehill and Logan Woodside. I uh, we know Tannehill's vaccination status, right? We right. don't know Logan's vaccination status, and and I am in no way saying that this is Logan's vaccination status. So, right. But let's say that Logan Woodside was unvaccinated, and let's say that uh, Ryan Tannehill got. COVID like he has right now. If Logan Woodside was unvaccinated, he would be out the same time as Ryan Tannehill is because he would be a close contact of Ryan Tannehill, right? Right. So then you have two quarterbacks, one vax unvaccinated out. And if that happened on a Thursday, you would have to be pulling in and starting a third string quarterback on Sunday. That is the problem. Unvaxed players like Quentin Nelson like um, Ryan Kelly, who apparently lied to a reporter that he was faxed, and Carson Wentz, if the, one of those guys gets COVID, it's not even that they test positive for COVID. If someone next to them that they are close contact with on the team is COVID, they're automatically out of the game. That's the problem. If you're unvaxed or if you're vaxxed, you have a less chance. You don't contact Tracy doesn't really count for you. And that's the problem that I think a lot of people are missing is that if this stuff happens on a, it's, it's good that this stuff is getting out of the way for certain teams with vaccine with vaxxed players. But if Carson Wentz, Quentin Nelson and Ron Kelly continue to go unvaxxed, if anybody tests positive that is in their positional group or a coach, they're immediately going to miss games and time. And what the problem is with Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson in particular is that they can't even do rehab stuff at the facility. Two guys that are important pieces of your offense 
cannot even do rehab at the facility and have to quarantine. So they can't do rehab at all. They have to quarantine. And that is missing valuable time. So let's say neither of them test positive and they both get two negative tests and they come back to the facility, right? And they come back and the quarterback coach gets COVID. Well, if the quarterback coach and Carson Wentz had some interaction, guess what's going to happen? Carson Wentz is back out again because he's unvaxxed. Yeah. That's just the, that's just how it's going to work. And that's why the competitive advantage is for vaccinated players. Everybody doesn't matter if you test positive or not. In my mind, the competitive advantage lies where the unvaxxed players are going to miss games, whether they test positive or not, if they are deemed a close contact of a player. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not, and I'll go down this rabbit hole a little bit with you, but it bothers me that the NFL is even bothering testing vaccinated players. And the fact that they're moving it from two weeks of testing to one week, I feel like this is searching for a problem when there doesn't necessarily need to be one where I, I, th I think you're creating more of a situation to where it's, it's muddying the water a little bit of well, what, what's the point me throw out the science, right? What's the point of me getting vaccinated if I'm just going to continue to get tested versus if the vaccine is working the way it should, then I, I feel like you're just throwing a lot out there to where teams are going to end up being penalized if they're vaccinated or not. Is that fair? Do you agree with me on that or disagree? I, I would agree from a player standpoint. Like I could see that from a player standpoint and agree with that from, from a personal standpoint, I'd be fine if those, if vaccinated players got tested every day, because there's, there's people that are, at home for some of these players that may be at high risk. And if you don't know if you have it and you're carrying it around and let's say that someone's small infant child is not vaccinated and they go yep. home and they don't know that they're carrying it because you tested pot, you'd never got tested. That that's what I think of. Yeah. I get that. That is a probably a very low percentage event that's happening, but that's just kind of what I think. So I am okay with a once a week test. Really, what's a once a week test? It's a mess of test. I don't, you know, just to me, it's it's worth it just to protect those that not on the football field, you know, that don't right. really have control of what's going on. Right. That's just how I view it. Now, I, I get what you're saying, though. I, I'm yeah, no. And that's and, and, you know, we can we can leave the debate up to to those who listen. Um, but I just I, that, you know, I thought about that a couple of days ago. And I want to throw that out there. All right, let's toss it to Music City Audible. Um, Justin Mello and Justin Graver um, have got a nice breakdown of the Titans 53, the cuts that were made, and they're definitely going to go in depth in, you know, position by position. So, Zach, when you're ready, let's bring them in. All right. Thank you to Zach and Lebowski, Michael Gillum of the F-Words podcast. We appreciate you guys letting us come on here this week. My co-host, Justin Mello. At Justin M underscore NFL on Twitter. I am Justin Graver at Titans Film Room, and we host the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media. Again, thanks to the guys from Football and Other F Words for letting us do this this week. Justin, how is it going? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been, it was a long, long day here on Tuesday for me. Pretty tired, but I'm uh, ready to, to power through. Been up since about 6.30 a.m. working the phones, trying to figure out this 53-man roster deal. And, uh, well, 62, I guess, in a sense, but we'll get to that. Uh, it was, was a pretty good day for me. 
Uh, of course, a tough day. You know, hate to see some of these guys go. Uh, you know, guys that I got to know pretty well over this summer, uh, shared a lot of conversations with, and it sucks for them. So I'm wishing all those guys the best. I don't want that fact to be lost uh, on anyone that a lot of guys lost their jobs today. Right. And that's uh, not just on this team, obviously, but on the other 31 as well. Uh, and that sucks. Right. And the futures are up, are up in the air and they'll be waiting tomorrow to figure out what's going on with practice squads and whatnot. So there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm wishing all those guys the best of luck. That is correct. We are recording this on Tuesday night as we react to the Titans' initial 53-man roster. So what we're going to do now is go through the 53-man roster, talk about who made the team and who we are surprised to see make the team, who we were surprised to see didn't make the team, and how we expect this roster is going to shake out because I think we should get this out of the way pretty much up front. Ryan Tannehill, Jeff Swaim, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, Jeremy McNichols, Racy McMath, Harold Landry, Nick DeZubnar, and Justin March Lillard are all currently on the reserve COVID list. So they don't count towards the Titans 53-man roster, which means there are nine guys either on the 53-man roster or on this COVID list who will not be on the team in a matter of days when these players are cleared from COVID and able to return to the team. So as the starters, there's five five starters there. As they return, obviously five players who are on the active roster now won't be there. And we'll see if how many of the other players on the COVID roster, like Justin March Lillard, Nick DeZubnar, Racy McMath, Jeremy McNichols, we'll see how many of those guys even end up making the team. They may just be waived from the COVID list once they're able to, to clear that. So let's go through it. First off, initial reactions to the quarterbacks, Justin Ryan Tannehill, obviously on the COVID list. So the Titans keep technically two on the 53-man roster in Logan Woodside and Matt Barkley. Well, this is pretty, pretty straightforward. I imagine when Ryan Tannehill is ready to come back uh, within a matter of days, possibly a day even, uh, I imagine Matt Barkley is going to get released. I, I think it's pretty clear uh, during that third preseason game that Logan Woodside uh, is the better backup quarterback and is the better option here uh, for them. So uh, it's not, look, not, all these moves are not going to be a like for a like, but I think this is a situation where we can realistically forecast that this will be a like for a like. Ryan Tannehill comes back and, and Matt Barkley very likely gets released. I can't see them keeping three quarterbacks uh, on the 53. I totally agree with that. So we can move on from that pretty quickly. Let's talk about the running backs. Derek Henry, obviously on the team. Darrington Evans, currently his injury status is unknown, but he's on the team. And Makai Sargent, after a nice preseason, also after getting injured in that final preseason game, we're not sure again about the extent of his injury either, also made the team. So the team keeps three running backs with, of course, Jeremy McNichols on the COVID list. This goes back to the point I made about a like for a like. I think this is another situation where I only see it playing out two ways, and both scenarios are, are, are pretty straightforward. Either Jeremy McNichols, uh, or sorry, three scenarios I guess I'll go with. Either Jeremy McNichols clears COVID and gets released, or Jeremy McNichols clears COVID, they release Sargent, and, and McNichols takes over as the RB3, which I don't think is the likely scenario, truthfully, after the way Sargent performed in the preseason. Or a very likely possibility that I think some people are ignoring is that maybe Darrington Evans still goes on IR 
McNichols is activated. And until Evans gets healthy, you have Sargent and McNichols on the roster because I think it's very clear that Evans is not healthy. We haven't seen him since he uh, injured his knee in the first quarter of the first preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons. It was really early in that game he left. We haven't really seen him since, and he did not practice on Tuesday. So he's not ready to come back. Remember, they couldn't put him on IR before trimming the roster down because anyone that goes on IR is out for the year. As we saw how what they did with Kyle Pico, Tucker McCann, and a couple others, those guys can't come back. So, of course, they weren't going to put Evans on IR because I imagine it's not a serious injury, and he will be back at some point if he's not healthy now. But I think it's very possible that Evans goes on IR within these next couple days, and until he's ready to return, that, that three-week window that you have now to activate him back, maybe they enter the season with both Sargent and Nichols. And, and again, that's just one of three scenarios that I just went through. But uh, if I was a betting man, I'd probably put my money on that one. You know, Makai Sargent could also be a candidate for IR. And just a reminder to all the listeners, uh, IR now, based on they're going to continue the rules that they changed them to during the COVID season last year, which is that a player can return from IR after three weeks as long as they make the initial 53-man roster. So both Evans and Sargent on the roster on Tuesday evening would qualify as candidates to go on IR and return in three weeks. You can recall as many players as you want from IR now. There's no limit on that like there used to be. So we could see one of them go on IR. We could see both. I doubt we see both go on IR, but because they would have kept a fifth running back if that was going to be the case. But it looks like, yeah, that could be a very likely scenario. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers here because the Titans kept seven, which I think was a mild surprise. There was a lot of talk about, you know, I mean, I think both of us said they probably will keep seven because it's just such a crowded room. But it's still kind of a little bit of a surprise that it actually happened. So those seven that they actually kept were A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers, Cameron Batson, and Nick Westbrook-Akine. Of course, Racy McMath on the COVID list. But fan favorite Mason Kinsey did not make the roster. And Des Fitzpatrick, who they traded up to draft in the fourth round, did not make the roster. Thoughts on the receiver group? Lots of thoughts here, and I'll try to run through it quickly. We can get through the rest, but uh, I'm glad to see they kept the seven for now. I'm wondering to see how this shakes out, because as they start bringing guys back from the COVID list, this could be a position where one player is sacrificed and they go back down to six. But I'm actually going to predict that that doesn't happen. I think they're going to stick with the seven. And Racy McMath, I think he'll probably get released. Uh, when he clears COVID, I, I wouldn't totally rule it out, but I, I don't know that they sacrificed one of these receivers for him. Uh, so I, I think he more likely ends up on the practice squad. Uh, but the, the, the Des Fitzpatrick thing, I mean, look, John Robinson's is not afraid to admit a mistake. I, I admire that. I honor that. But obviously you wish he didn't have to, to admit a mistake so quickly, right? That's, that's the end game here. Yes, we can give him credit for moving on and not holding on. Like, so, like you look at the Eagles, what they've done with some of their receivers, they've held on for years uh, just because of they were high draft picks. Uh, look, Des didn't earn a spot, and I commend them for saying, hey, we're not going to sacrifice. It would have been easy, truthfully, for them to sacrifice a Chester Rogers uh, or, a, or a Marcus Johnson or more likely a Cameron Batson potentially in order would- to keep – Des. Yeah, I don't think Rodgers would have been like right, all, and I agree, and I probably shouldn't have set him there, and I, I do ultimately agree. It probably would have been Batson most likely, but you know what? Batson earned a spot, and Des didn't. 
You know, and agreed. that's just the nature of the game. Hundred percent agreed with that. And not every team would have made that same decision, though. That's my point here. There are teams in the same scenario that would have cut Batson or even Nick Westbrook potentially, and would have kept Des just because of the draft designation. So I, I appreciate that the Titans did not do that. With that said, it's obviously catastrophic in, in a sense. They traded three picks. I mean, it was technically a swap, so they gave up two picks in order to move up to get Des. Uh, in the fourth round, and, and it obviously didn't work out. I do anticipate he'll end up on their practice squad, uh, but 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 enough about him. I'm curious to see how this shakes out. Do they stick with seven after the COVID guys? Do they just flat out release Ray C. McMath, which again I think is probably the likely outcome uh, for him being on the pra- uh, ending up on the practice squad? But there are still some things that will move here. I don't know is Cameron Batson 100% safe? Is Nick Westbrook 100% safe? I don't know that for sure. Marcus Johnson could go on IR, right? That's another uh, domino that could drop there. He didn't practice today. Uh, being Tuesday. So there are a couple things to figure out here. I'm confident that I covered all of the outcomes uh, in my little rant there. Yeah. If I had to guess what's going to happen, I'd say they stick with seven McMath gets cut and McMath and Fitzpatrick and possibly Mason Kinsey would all be potential candidates for the practice squad. In my opinion, I have a feeling shout out to Kinsey. Cause we talked about Fitz there uh, a lot. Kinsey Man, only eight NFL receivers had more yards than he did in the preseason. His 131 yards. I mean, he's top 10 performer uh, uh, through the three exhibition games. I'm going to make a prediction right now. I'd, I'd love to get him back on the practice squad. I'm going to say Atlanta. Arthur Smith claims him. And then maybe they have a spot for him on their active roster. You know, Atlanta does not have great depth at the receiver position. I think Russell Gage is the number two receiver. I'm not really sure who's behind him. Truth be told, I'd have to look into it. I think Tajay Sharp is there. I don't know if he made their 53 today or not, uh, but but I'm going to predict that Mason Kinsey ends up on Atlanta's active roster. Nice. I like it. I like and it. Titans fans are going to cry when it happens. I know everyone wants him back on the practice squad. Heck, I want him back, but I have a feeling that so, and maybe someone else claims him who's got no idea who's never coached him or played for him, but you saw how well, how good he played in the preseason. So he certainly opened some eyes, but I'm going to predict it's Atlanta. Yeah, I, I could see it happening. So I like that one. All right, let's talk about the tight ends. Jeff Swaim on the COVID list. So the three who made the roster are Anthony Ferkser, Tommy Hudson, and Luke Stalker. You broke the news that Miller Forrestal did not make the team, but the team hopes to get him back on the practice squad. Is that right? That is what I've heard. That's what I, that's what a source told me that Miller Forrestal is a is a prime candidate to end up on the practice squad. We'll see how it works out Wednesday afternoon. I, I, I imagine I'll get word on that and I'll, I'll, I'll release it on my Twitter when I hear something about that. So another question becomes what happens when Jeff Swaim comes back from COVID? And this is a good question. And this is something that. I don't know what's going to happen, obviously, but I'm curious to see the outcome because they've kept four tight ends a lot in the past in recent years. And I could absolutely see them doing so again. I can see them bringing Swain back and sacrificing elsewhere, whether it be releasing one of those extra receivers or a safety. And we'll get into that in a little bit or an IR guy clears a spot for Swain to come back. I don't know that you need to keep Luke Stalker and Tommy Hudson. I know they initially kept them. They're the same player just 10 years apart. I almost feel like, right. Neither of them is going to give you anything as a pass catcher, really. I, and you saw that, I mean, stalker di- didn't really give you anything really stalker years looked ago. 
awful in the preseason to me. Sorry, who did? Stalker. He dropped a couple of balls that were, in my opinion, catchable. Looked slow. He's listed right now as the fourth guy on the depth chart behind Hudson. I I think he's the guy that goes when Jeff Swam comes back. And I I hate, don't get me wrong, I don't want to wish for a guy to lose his job. But if I'm just, you know, talking from, let's say, uh, even uh, uh, analyzing this roster uh, perspective and, and, and wanting to see what's best for them, I think they should roll with three tight ends. I agree. And I think they should probably let Stalker go. I mean, again, him and Hudson are the same player, right? They're both excellent blockers that give you little to nothing as a pass catcher. Now, I would understand the argument for keeping both of them and keeping four tight ends if Swaim wasn't a good blocker in his own right. I mean, Swaim is a better pass catcher than both of them, but he's a pretty good blocker. I don't know that I need a Swaim, a Stalker, and a Hudson on this team. It seems redundant to me. So, uh, for me, I'm going to three tight ends. And a fullback and seven receivers. It's just not really feasible. It doesn't make sense to me. Again, I know they've kept four tight ends pretty much every year uh, over the last couple of years. They obviously like to do so, but I think it made sense in prior years with the group they had. I don't think it makes any sense this year to do so. And it would would be a mild disappointment to me if that's what they end up doing. Last question, because I want to move on from the tight ends, but I am curious. Michael Pruitt was cut by the Niners. No, I think, look, I love Michael Pruitt. (laughs) I I don't say that because I dislike Michael Pruitt. I like Michael Pruitt. I say that because he was a free agent for so long. He was on the open market for so long, remember? And I think so was Swain was on the open market for a while as well. They made their decision already. On Michael Pruitt. They chose Swaim over him. They've had Hudson on the roster the whole time. Then they bring in Stalker. Uh, I think their mind is relatively made up. Look, Pruitt would probably be an upgrade on Hudson. Don't get me wrong. He's probably the better football player right now. But I think they're at a point where that, that hopefully that third tight end spot, they want to go with a younger guy that they can develop and they can keep around for a while. That's not Pruitt. That's not Stalker either, as a matter of fact. So I think it makes sense to again, Pruitt's such a good blocker. It doesn't give you a ton as a pass catcher. He made a couple big catches in his time in Tennessee, but if you're going to develop a a tight end as a a pure run blocker, it makes sense to go with a young guy in Hudson. Yep. All right. Kari Blossom game, fullback, no surprise there. Torrey Carter, I don't, some people like him for some reason, but I don't even, let's not waste any time here. Offensive line, Ben Jones and Nate Davis on the COVID list. So, Active roster is Taylor Lewan, Roger Saffold, Ty Sembrello, David Questenberry, Aaron Brewer, Dylan Radins, Kendall Lamb, and Daniel Munyer. Daniel Munyer, a bit of a surprise to me just because I thought he was really bad at football. But right now, there's only eight guys here. However, when you factor in the two COVID players, you get to 10. I don't see the Titans keeping 10 O-linemen. So somebody else from another position group at is going to have to go when Ben Jones and Nate Davis come back. I agree with you because I do think that uh, Munyer uh, will probably be released here. He could also end up on IR. Not that I think they'd have a ton of interest in, in, in wanting to stash him per se. My point saying that is he didn't practice on Tuesday, right? So I'm looking yeah. at these guys who didn't practice Tuesday and they all make prime candidates, right? For being potential yep. IR. 
placed on IR, especially ones, of course, on the 53, which Munyer is on. So I think Munyer either ends up on IR or released. Either way, that takes him off the 53-man roster. That allows you to bring, say, Ben Jones back. But you're right. Then you got to make a spot for Nate Davis. So whether that's a uh, – they sacrifice that at one of those t- – again, that t- a tight end maybe goes there or a receiver. In fact, I'm going to predict that it will be uh, Luke Stalker going – and again, it, you know, it's not like these are one-for-one one moves, obviously, but I can see Munyer and Stalker being the two that are quote-unquote sacrificed to bring back Ben Jones and Nate Davis. Right. So no real surprises there in the O-line in terms of who got cut. That's pretty much the group that we all expected. Minus I mean, Munier, again, Munyer who... making the 53 is a, is, a, is a minor surprise, but when you factor in Jones and Davis, I mean, so, someone had to make it, right? Yeah, I mean, they needed somebody to snap at practice on Tuesday. So, Munyer. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Brewer could snap, and he is back. So, I don't know. I imagine, well, Munyer didn't practice Tuesday. So, I imagine Aaron Brewer must have been the center mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Because, I mean, Munyer and Jones, right, <laughs> didn't have yeah. a whole lot of options. And Banward, Cole Banward, who's, who, who they released today, who has experience at center, uh, was not out there either today. So, right. <laughs> Brewer must have gotten a lot of work at center on Tuesday. Yeah. All right. Let's flip to the defense. Obviously on the D line, Jeffrey Simmons made the roster. Laurel Murchison, you reported made the roster Tier Tart, Anthony Rush and uh, Danico Autry are the def- That's the defensive line group. We sort of predicted that, didn't we? Fifth D line. Did we predict we that? Did. We did. We did. Yeah, no surprises did. here. In my opinion, I was blessed enough to report that merch had made it again, something that was expected. I also reported that Anthony rush made it. I think, you know, that was a little more up in the air and, and, and he's a great guy and I'm thrilled for him. Uh, what the only thing I'll say about this group, look, there's no one on the COVID list here. Uh, so there, I don't expect to see much shuffle here and, and five is the number they should keep. So you're not going to see uh, a change there. Uh, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. Uh, my good buddy Luke Warsham from A to Z Sports was one of them saying that the D line could be a spot that they think they'd go out and target uh, for an upgrade. They, th- they think uh, maybe, and it wasn't just Luke, there were several people who said this on Twitter to me. Uh, maybe Anthony Rush gets let go and they claim a guy off waivers. I'm not saying it's impossible. Look, nothing is impossible, but I'm going to bet that that doesn't happen. I think everyone who's saying that is underrating. A, Anthony Rush, and more importantly, B, how much they like Anthony Rush. I don't remember who would, being the coaching staff, of course, in the front office, I don't remember who pointed it out to me. I think it was actually uh, the now-retired Mike, who's on his metaphorical. He's not doing a very good job on the metaphorical beach because he was very active today uh, on Twitter with the 53. Like he's he's tweeted more since retiring. Yeah, I think he – we're going to turn <laughs> his tweets into stories. I think it was your idea. We're just going to take all his tweets and publish them because they're pretty much stories with how, how yeah. often he's tweeting. Uh, look, they pull you – as soon as you're out, they pull you back in. What's the famous <laughs> quote? Mike knows he loves this shit, and he can't let it go. But I think it was – Mike who brought it to my attention a few weeks ago uh, the official Titans podcast the OTP hosted by Amy Wells and Mike Keith uh, I think it was Mike Keith who may have said that Anthony Rush is pushing TR Tart uh, for, for the nose tackle job the starting job I mean I, I, and Mike Keith obviously is Mike Keith it's the official Titans podcast he's plugged in I think there's a good chance everyone in that building likes Anthony Rush more 
than uh, the average uh, fan or Twitter user realizes. And I'm going to predict that they don't make a move there. They stick with the five that they kept. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's a great point. Thanks, Mike, for contributing from retirement. Let's move to the outside linebacker group. Harold Landry, unfortunately, on the COVID list. So the outside linebackers are Bud Dupree, Ola Adani, Derek Roberson, Rashad Weaver. Outside of Landry, obviously being activated for the next couple days, I think they will sacrifice here elsewhere. And I think you'll be in full agreement there. I'll be vi- quite surprised if any of these guys go. They should go into the year with five. Heck, last year for them was a hell of a lesson. I think they only had four most of the year. They went into a lot of games with like three because they didn't have guys active. So what a change. I, I you know, don't look now, but I actually like the depth they have here. Ola Dainey has been a fantastic surprise for them throughout the uh, preseason. I mean, this is a guy that came in when he came in, I'm sure you and I, I made the prediction. Oh, he's a special teams body because he actually's got a lot of production over the years on special teams. And I do think that'll still be his primary role, but, uh, but he had some juice rushing the passer. I was very impressed with him throughout the preseason. So, and I don't know who the team's number three rusher is. Let's be honest. I mean, it could be any of them. It could be him. It could be Rashad Weaver. It could be uh, Derek Roberson. So, Uh, I think all five of these guys, they make the roster. The one real battle here, quote unquote, in my opinion, was Derek Roberson versus John Simon, right? The eight-year vet from New England who played for Vrabel in Houston and at Ohio State uh, back in college. But they released him on Monday. They they were quick to let Simon go. He didn't even make it to Tuesday. So so very clearly, they like Roberson uh, better than him. By the way, I think Simon's probably a pretty good candidate for the practice squad. I think Mike Vrabel actually said how much they'd like him and like to have him back. So that's something worth uh, worth monitoring on Wednesday. Uh, but I think this group is what it is. Harold Landry comes back. They sacrifice elsewhere. They keep all five of these guys. I was thrilled to report that Roberson made the 53. I thought that he would, but I was happy for him. He put a lot of work in this offseason. And this group is what it is. It's these five guys who just add Landry to the 53 and sacrifice elsewhere. Right. And I think one thing to note here when you talk about the practice squad and John Simon is that I look at that as like the first guy to be called up if someone in that position group gets hurt during the season. Not necessarily to get a lot of snaps, but they're going to be, you know, your last depth piece on the active roster. So same thing goes when we talk about those wide receivers. If Mason Kinsey does clear waivers and ends up on the practice squad and at some point in the season, you know, Cam Batson or somebody gets hurt, then you'll see those practice squad guys come up. So you'd want someone like John Simon, now that you can have four veterans on the practice squad to come up as a veteran guy and he'll be there with the team in practice on the scout team and all those things too, that helps out. So And there's value in that. Look, he knows the defense. He knows Vrabel well. John (laughs) Simon is a practice squad guy. I I promise you, Mike Vrabel would be thrilled if that happens this week. So let's talk about the cornerbacks because I think this is a potential group. Let's just talk about the cornerbacks and safeties together because I think this is where some of those extra sacrifices are going to come from. Nobody in this group on the COVID list. So you got your starters in Janoris Jenkins and Christian Fulton. You got... Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard at safety. And then Chris Jackson, who's a slot corner slash kind of a safety. Matthias Farley, Dane Crookshank made the roster. Breon Borders, Chris Jones, a defensive back, made the roster, which I think was, in my opinion, probably the biggest surprise. You reported this news. Obviously, Caleb Farley made it. Elijah Molden made it. 
and Bradley McDougald made it. And finally, in another surprise, Brady Breeze made it. So I think that this is the position group that had the most surprise makes. If we just group them together here because there's so many hybrid guys. Um, what are your thoughts on this group here? I, I don't know where to start because I agree with you. I think this is the group that we'll see ha- shuffled the most over the next couple of days. Uh, I think you could argue potentially that uh, Brady Breeze, uh, uh, McDougald, and Chris Jones might be the three biggest surprises, right, of the initial uh, roster. So uh, there's room to shuffle here. Look, I, I think if you're expecting all of those guys to go, I don't know that I would guarantee that. Keep in mind, uh, Chris Jackson didn't practice on Tuesday as well, and he's been banged up over the last couple of weeks. So it wouldn't shock me to see him land on IR. If he lands on IR, uh, do they that, that would get the corner number down from seven to six. Right. Do they stick with six? Do they go down to five? They might stick with six. But Chris Jones, by the way, is more of a corner than a safety. So when I say six, he would be the sixth. And Breon Borders uh, is your number five, by the way. So I I can see a scenario where Chris Jones isn't sacrificed and I could see him sticking, especially if Chris Jackson has to go on IR. I think we're we're the biggest dominoes uh, have to drop are at safety. I mean, I I don't see them keeping McDougald. Farley uh, and Breeze, right? Am I missing? No, that's that. Those are the three main ones. I think that surprised there. Uh, I think one of those guys, I'd almost guarantee you that one of them goes and I wouldn't completely rule out that two of them go. Yeah. I think Dane Crookshank is someone who people, I don't know. Some people may have been surprised to see, but he's back. He's healthy and he's going to be a key special teamer and he could be potentially in, in some defensive looks with when they go with a lot of defensive backs, he's, had that role the past couple of years in Hail Mary situations. He had an interception at the end of a half last year. So Dane Kirkshank obviously made the roster. Then Brady Breeze is a guy who's also banged up. So he's another candidate for IR. If you put Chris Jackson and Breeze on IR, then that frees up two spots. You know, that, that gets rid of one of your corners and one of your safeties. I definitely agree that there's no way they keep six safeties, but I could see McDougal sticking around he's a veteran guy he's he's a good player and he i mean he's not a good he's a solid player and he made some plays in the preseason too i think he flashed a little bit and if he impressed them as a veteran guy that can you know be at the back of the depth chart i could see him sticking i could see breeze being one of the top candidates for being either put on ir or cut and then brought back on the practice squad he was their last draft pick sixth round pick but they had multiple sixth round picks this year so he was the last guy that they picked this year you could easily see him not making this roster. I think you bring up some good points there. And it's hard to say because there are probably three dominoes left to fall here. I think you'd, you'd likely agree, but two of them could be salt. Like you said, could be sorted out. If Chris Jackson and breeze end up on IR and all of a sudden you only got to cut one guy. And, and I used to think Farley was definitely safe. But I don't know now that I would say he's definitely safe. I, I think it's possible that he could be one of those dominoes that falls. I, I probably wouldn't bet on it. Matthias but, uh, me, Farley. Not Matthias Caleb. Farley, that is. Yes, clearly not. Yeah, sorry, not Caleb Farley, obviously. Safety <laughs> Matthias Farley. Uh, you know, uh, two months ago, I would have told you he had a 70% chance of making the roster. And this is just me purely guessing. I knew he was a great special teams player. Now with all these bodies here, I probably lower that to maybe 60%, you know? Yeah. So uh, things will happen here, whether it's something with Chris Jackson on IR, Brady Breeze on IR or released. 
Chris Jones, uh, uh, Farley, McDougald, multiple things will happen here over these next few days. All right. All right. Let's quickly do the inside linebackers and then we'll do special teams to close it out. So obviously Jayon Brown, Rashawn Evans made the team, David Long Jr. and Monty Rice. And then Nick DeZubnar and Justin March Lillard are both on the COVID list. I could see both of those guys making the roster as core special teamers. I could see both of them being cut as soon as they clear COVID. I could see one of them making it and one of these defensive backs pushed off to make room. But that one, to me, doesn't really matter because I don't think it really is going to have an impact on the season what happens at the back of the inside linebacker group. No, you're not wrong there. Way to way to make it insignificant. But no, uh, <laughs> the only scenario where I'll slightly disagree with you is I can't see both of them making the roster, being Dzubnar and Justin March Lillard. I'd be surprised. Now, the four of the guys here, they're here to stay. Right? There's no question. David Long Jr., Monty Rice, of course, they're going to be on this roster. Another thing to factor in, and you and I have talked about this, but the outside linebacker, Ola Adeni, He's got some inside-outside versatility. So maybe they don't see a need to have a fifth inside linebacker because he's played a little inside. Uh, I'll be honest, if it was up to me, I think I would probably let both Zubnar and March Lillard go once they clear COVID. With that said, I can see one of them sticking around. What that decision will come to probably won't be the depth at inside linebacker. And it probably won't be that, oh, we, we want five and not four. It'll actually come down to how they feel about their special teams units. If they feel good about what they have on special teams, and look, they got some good ones. Farley, uh, Matthias Farley, as I said, if he sticks, he's a good special teams player. If Brady Bree sticks, he's a really good special teams player, I think. Nick Westbrook is obviously an excellent special teams player. So they have some special teams guys here. Um, but if they feel they need one more, then they have to make a spot for one of these guys, for March Lillard or Dzubnar. So that's, to me, what it will come down to. If they like their special teams, I say neither of them make it. If they're not thrilled with it, I'll say one of them makes it. And again, maybe one of those DBs that gets sacrificed ends up being for one of these number five inside linebackers. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. All right, let's wrap this up with special teams. Sam Ficken makes the roster as the primary kicker. Titans electing not to go, as you tweeted so aptly, the Detroit Lions route. Um, <laughs> I, I had like fun that with that one. And, you know, Steven Goskowski's still out there, but I do think Sam Ficken is your kicker for the season, and I think you would agree. Yeah, I mean, he's been let's, he's been excellent in training camp and preseason. I mean, lights out. In lights out, yeah. way better than I think anyone. I mean, I remember when they signed him, I'll be honest, I went in to look at the numbers, and I they were kind of rough, and especially at, I think there was a point where he was like a 73% kicker or something like that of that nature. And, and he had hadn't made a lot of kicks past 50 yards. Hasn't been, he had a 58 yarder in the preseason. He's been good from that distance in practice. So whatever, I mean, uh, Mike actually, again, um, the, the retired quote unquote, Mike uh, made a, a comment on Twitter a few weeks ago about the, who's the kicking coach they brought in, right? The first time they've ever had that will, it's going to escapes me now. And I feel terrible for James Will Hoyt, James Will Hoyt. That's I said, will I, there's a will in there. James Will Hoyt. I'm glad that you remembered. Uh, perhaps he's done terrific work with Sam Ficken. I mean, who knows, but either way, 
It's almost like, is it a coincidence? He came in at a similar time and Fick has just been lights out. So I tweeted that I'm very confident that they won't look at the waiver wire to replace Ficken. I'm not saying that with a, a, a strong source, by the way, but you just look at what's out there. I'd be pretty surprised uh, if they cut Ficken and went elsewhere. I, I'd be shocked, actually. Well, there's a lot of kickers that got released today. Uh, Michael Badgley, the the hun- the money badger. He has not been very known. good lately, though, huh? Um, Zane Gonzalez. The Lions released both of their kickers, one of them being Zane Gonzalez. Austin Seibert, who was good last year, was released from Cincinnati because they apparently have some stuff. I mean, I know rookie. this probably, not to cut you off, I know this probably doesn't factor into your evaluation, but if I'm John Robinson, I look at those two Detroit kickers. Now, if this team cut both of them, they didn't even decide to keep one of them on there. Uh, pfft, next, I'm not even interested in kicking the tires on a guy like that. Brett Kern is your punter. Morgan Cox, your long snapper. And just to bring it up here, because it's on the depth chart, Chester Rogers listed as the primary punt returner. And we saw why in the preseason. And then at kick returner, Darrington Evans is listed as the primary kick returner. Cameron Batson is your backup. Mm. Cameron Batson made the roster. Darrington Evans has not been seen since his injury. Possible candidate for IR. There is a chance that Cameron Batson is on the roster to return kicks because Darrington Evans is heading to injured reserve. I am thrilled that you brought that up. That's obviously something we forgot about uh, when we we, we talked about Batson during the receiver group. Uh, That makes me feel very confident that Cam Batson will not be released and, you know, and, and may not be released at all, by the way. But if he's going to be, it will not be until, with Evans out. Right. right and I'll Evans predict right back. now. Yeah. And I'll predict right now. And I think you'll agree. Cameron Batson returns kicks week one against the Arizona Cardinals. If I had to say that right now, I would agree with you. Yes. So scratch that off the list. Cam Batson is very unlikely, in my opinion, to be a guy that's quote unquote sacrificed for one of these COVID returns or whatever. Uh, nice. I mean, uh, we're almost speaking like it's fact, but I'll be su- I'll be shocked if Evans doesn't go on aisle. And just one more n- note on Batson, because I know there's a lot of fans out there who think Mason Kinsey should have made it over him. I disagree. I think Cam Batson is a better player. I think he does more for you. He can line up outside and in the slot. He's not just a slot guy. He obviously has all these return skills on special teams. He's also listed as the backup punt returner if Chester Rogers were to not be able to do it. So I think he's a better player overall. We saw him... It contested catch ability in the preseason. We've seen that in the regular season too. He caught a touchdown like that last year. He had an amazing third down uh, route run against Byron Jones when Byron Jones was the best player, best cornerback in the league at the time uh, against when the Titans played the Cowboys in 2018 when he got those limited snaps. His only problem is that he hasn't been able to stay healthy in his short career here. So I honestly think, you know, he has more, way more potential and he's shown way more than Mason Kinsey. And I like Mason Kinsey a lot. And I think he had a great preseason and he produced a lot in the preseason. He really showed what he's capable of. But I just think Cam Batson is capable of more than that. And if Cam Batson had played that many snaps and played against all the second teamers in the second halves in the Mason Kinsey role, I think he could have produced equally as well. So I'm yeah. not taking anything away from Kinsey. I just don't think people are giving Batson proper credit here for for what he has potential to be as a as a receiver and as a special teams player i think that's a great point and 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 i i shot a text to somebody uh uh, who knows batson after i found out that he had made the roster and i said look all the kid ever has done is defied the odds i mean what a crazy career arc 
comes in here in Tennessee in 2018 as an undrafted free agent, makes the roster, right? Or, or gets waived and makes it a day later. Either I know there was one year where he got cut initially and they brought him back a day or two later. But anyway, he makes the team in 2018 as a UDFA, defies the odds. 2019, he separates his shoulder in training camp, catching a Marcus Mariota pass, comes down on his shoulder, is immediately ruled out for this season. IR, done for the year. Comes back healthy in 2020. No one gave him a chance to make the roster, right? Here's a one-year removed UDFA receiver 6-7 who's back, makes the roster again in 2020. Shocks everyone. What did he just do in 2021? Makes the roster again. I mean, all the guy does, never say die. I, I, I called him the, the pesky Cam Batson, and I love it because he refuses to go away. And, but don't get me wrong, he's earned it. He's earned it every step of the way. Every year he has earned that roster spot. And here's a fun fact for you. And I'm actually going to tweet this out in the morning. I, I, I forgot to do it earlier today. The most tenored receiver on the Tennessee Titans roster is Cameron Batson. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Right. Somewhat a fact that a lot of people have not thought of, I bet, as I say it now, the most tenored receiver on the Tennessee Titans roster is Cameron Batson. That's 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 wild. And it's crazy because Batson really won me over throughout the preseason, because if you'd asked me at the beginning of the preseason who should make the team, I mean, I would have put Des Fitzpatrick on because Des Fitzpatrick was a draft pick and we hadn't seen him fail yet. But I think we talked about it when we did the wide receiver preview. We both kind of said Cameron Batson deserves to make the team, but there's just not room for it. But throughout the preseason, and this is our first time on the podcast since the last preseason game, obviously, but especially in that last preseason game, and I tweeted it out during the game, was that Cam Batson really won me over, and I just thought he really did deserve to make the team. So I'm really glad that he did. And a lot of people forget that he carried a scrub quarterback through college. Some no-name guy from Texas Tech named Patrick Mahomes was his college quarterback. So <laughs> who knows what happens I, I there. Did I, I did not know that. I, I did not. I'm not going to lie. I did not know that. Patrick Mahomes makes sense. Patrick Mahomes is Cameron Batson's quarterback in college. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it, it makes sense. Wrong. I mean, I know they went to the same school, but my, my, I had never lined that up in my brain before. Yeah. So good for him. Good for all these guys that made it. And Sorry, and we're sad for all the guys who didn't, but, you know, there'll be lots of claims going around and injuries throughout the year, so everyone will have, hopefully, another chance. That's all I have to say on that. And any last words on the roster before we get out of here? No, that is all. I'm curious to see how things shake out over the next couple of days, as I think we very well covered on this episode of Music City Audible. There are more dominoes to fall. Guys are coming back off COVID. Uh, guys will be placed on IR. Some guys will be released. The Titans might be the team in the league that'll shuffle the roster the most over the next couple of days. I don't. I know the Colts have quite a few guys on the COVID list as well, but I don't know that anyone has a quote-unquote a total of 62 guys right now. So uh, there's a lot of activity coming. Yeah, exactly. Thank you to Zach and Michael Gillum Lebowski of F-Words Pod for letting us join their Wednesday show. We appreciate that. Once again, you just said it. We are the hosts of the Music City Audible podcast, another podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media and partnered with 440 Sports. You can find us on Twitter at MCA Broadway. We again appreciate the guys from F-Words letting us do this. We appreciate you all for listening to us. And if you liked it, hey, maybe check out our podcast. The Music City Audible comes out every Friday previewing the upcoming Titans game. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Just search Music City Audible. All right, that's it for us. Back over to you guys at F-Words Pod. Thanks again. Really appreciate that. Justin Mello, Justin Graver jumping in. Music City Audible. Again, you can find that at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Zach, I, I want to start with, I mean, l- let's jump right into the wide receivers. Mason Kinsey, Des Patrick, and Fred Brown cut. Des Fitzpatrick, are, are you surprised by that? And, and I'm definitely obviously going to go on a longer tangent with that whole topic. Well, I in, and listen, I, I put out my predictions uh, on Monday morning and no, Tuesday morning. I put out my predictions and then I, of course, did the analysis over Broadway Sports Media after cuts were done. Um, look, I, I really thought that Des Fitzpatrick would have made the team. And, and, here's, and here's how. Is that I feel like the initial 53 with the, the nine players on COVID that don't count towards the roster, I really thought that probably they would just keep them on the initial 53 and then, you know, worry about how the roster was going to shape out. Cause I really thought that maybe Marcus Johnson or Josh Reynolds was going to end up going on IR because both have these mysterious injuries plaguing them. And then once, cause once you're on the 53 and go on IR, you can come back pretty quickly. So I thought that Des Fitzpatrick was going to be able to sneak on. <clears throat> Here's, here's where that started changing on Tuesday was when you kept seeing teams cut wide receiver after wide receiver after wide receiver after wide receiver. Well, the Titans are taking notice of that as long as what everybody else on the media is taking notice of. So now they can cut Des Fitzpatrick, get him on the practice squad probably fairly easily. I'd say there's a 99% chance that Des Fitzpatrick gets back on this practice squad. There's only a handful of teams, one of them being the Detroit Lions, and probably the Raiders that may need a wide receiver, but most of them have their top five, their top six. They, I think Des Fitzpatrick will clear pretty easily. So they decided to use that 53 spot on something different. So I, I think that that's the reason for it. Look, I, I've been labeled a Des Fitzpatrick hater. I, I wrote about it on Broadway Sports Media. I've, I've put on Twitter, and I did a little victory parade last night, retweeting people who said I was an idiot, and I didn't know anything, and I'm not a professional scout or anything like that, and I know nothing about Des Fitzpatrick. Well, I guess I was right. But it's not to <laughs> any fault of Des Fitzpatrick himself. I mean, Des Fitzpatrick was in college what he was, and what he was in college was not going to translate well into the NFL. This is a pure indictment of the recruiting process and the scouting process, recruiting process, the scouting process of the Tennessee Titans, much like they had their issues with Isaiah Wilson and some scout pounded the table for him. Some scout pounded the table for Des Fitzpatrick and Des Fitzpatrick got that vaunted senior bowl MVP And he was so great at Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl MVP is like winning the Nickelodeon Most Valuable Player. And I think the MVP is more valuable than that Senior Bowl MVP. I I really do. And I I think that John Robinson places a little bit too much emphasis on on, uh, Senior Bowl All-Stars. It's called. It's like practice squad All-Star or practice training camp All-Stars. You put a little too much emphasis on the Senior Bowl. And it bit him in the butt. And John Robinson, when he misses, he misses pretty big. I, I put that out on a tweet on Tuesday night. I love John Robinson. I'm not here to fire John Robinson. 
I don't want John Robinson fired. I think he does a lot of good throughout the draft and a lot of good through free agency. And obviously with Des Fitzpatrick being cut, it was a luxury because he did so well building the roster this offseason into making it the most competitive and the best Tennessee Titans roster we've seen under John Robinson. And we probably have seen in a long, 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 long time. And it's so deep that he is able to cut Des Fitzpatrick. Is it the right move? Yes. Was it the right move to draft him in the first place and trade up using a fourth and a fifth and a seventh? No, it was not. And it wasn't at the time. This is not hindsight 2020. Uh, I, I stood by this the whole way through. And to me, it is it is the right move. The right move, though, the better move would have been not draft him in the first place. It, the odds were just stacked against Dez. And I hate it for him. I hope that, you know, he can work on his craft on the practice squad, that he can work on his body catches, he can work on his drops and all that kind of stuff. I hope that he learns that you got to finish plays in the NFL. Downing, Todd Downing, on after the Chicago game, talked about Des Fitzpatrick played 60 snaps and he was not finishing plays. And that's probably why he stood out there for 60 snaps. 60 snaps probably should have been a sign that they weren't happy with what Des was doing enough to keep him to have a roster spot. And they wanted him to pull himself out. I hope they puts together and rebound and be what the staff thought he would be. I would have a hard time believing he will ever live up to that fourth round value with the draft picks attached to it that were traded for him by the Titans. But hopefully he can come back and be a serviceable wide receiver four, wide receiver three, maybe over the next few years. Is is this the proper time to litigate John Robinson over this? Uh, I mean, cause you, you laid it out there in, in the middle of that was this isn't just a missed fourth round pick. This is a missed fourth and a fifth and a seventh. I mean, this is, this is three picks that were wasted. Yeah. We're talking about a seventh round pick, but still it's three picks. You, you pile that on top of Isaiah Wilson but obviously you got to take into account where this team stands, which is in the strongest position, arguably it's probably ever been in. Is this the proper time as a fan to litigate this? Is this this the proper time if you're the team owner to look at this and think, I'm not saying the team owner should evaluate this as, as any sort of job replacement, but is this something that if you're the team owner, that you're having any sort of talk with Robinson beforehand of, Okay, A, what are you doing with your scouting department? And B, you personally, why are we taking flyers on on failures? Well, I'll say this. The Des Fitzpatrick, it's a fourth-round pick. Granted, ninety-one, roughly 91% of fourth-round picks make it to the roster in their first year. So it's not unheard of that a first-round pick doesn't. It's not a 100% success rate, right? I think you take your flyers on players in the fourth, fifth, and seventh round. And typically that's where John Robinson finds the really good players. I mean, for every Des Fitzpatrick pick that's out there that is on his resume, there's an Elijah Molden in the third. There's an AJ Brown in the second. There's a Jayon Brown in the fifth. There's a Kevin Byer in the Byard in the third. There's Johnny Smith in the third. I mean, there are players that he gets good value of out of later in the draft. 
So while I don't agree with the Des Fitzpatrick, there is a good shot that he was going to be right about Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth, right? So, yeah, he's had some misses in the first round. And sure, I would love to see some first-round draft picks stick around for a second contract. But there's a lot of these first-round draft picks that are getting way, way overpaid by other teams. And let a good GM knows you don't overpay for play certain players. And granted, you shouldn't draft players that you don't think that are worth being a little paid a little bit over. But at least he's willing to cut bait on some of these players. I would like for him not to cut bait on any players, but there's no perfect GM across the league. For all the the ballyhoos surrounding Chris Ballard, he has a 500 record over these last four years. He's drafted from 2017 to 2020, 38 players, and only six of them are good. John Robinson is a better drafter than Chris Ballard. I'm going to throw it out there. Sure, he has these glaring misses and all this stuff, but he's getting more out of his players that he is keeping around and, and drafting than Chris Ballard is. I mean, 38 players and only six are really contributing starters. You may be able to make a case for seven. That's not a good hit rate. Uh, say what you want about Rashawn Evans. We say a lot on this podcast. At least he's a starter and you're getting something out of him, whether it's a goal line stand here and there, or you're getting someone that can make tackles. Listen, I don't think Rashawn Evans is that great, but you got to remember there were teams that were trying to trade in front of trying to trade in that same spot for that same player. So John Robinson wasn't the only one feeling that same way about Rashawn Evans. This is this is a time, and I said it over the summer. I uh, talked about like five narratives that I'm tired of hearing about or whatever. This is a time for the Tennessee Titans to redo their scouting department. There is a problem in the scouting department somewhere because some scout ignored a bunch of the glaring weaknesses in Des Fitzpatrick game and just saw upside. Listen, Amon Ross St. Brown is not lighting the world on fire. Tylan Wallace is not lighting the world on fire, but they showed better college tape than Des Fitzpatrick. And Des Fitzpatrick's glaring needs or glaring holes in his game were almost exact same as Taewon Taylor. Body catches, mental mistakes, um, route running. To me... You go get Amon Ross St. Brown if you're trained up, or instead of drafting Monty Rice, you draft Amari Rogers, or instead of drafting Dylan Radens, you go and get a Mar- you get a um, Terrace Marshall, who is lighting, who's going to be awesome, like we all thought he was going to be. Those are what you got to do. I-, I get it. Right tackle is a problem because of the Isaiah Wilson pick, which cascades into well, they get obviously got to draft a right tackle. You-, you don't have to draft him at two. Like, you can find right tackles later on in the round. There, there's, a, there's a problem with the process somewhere, and it needs to be fixed. But it is not. we're nowhere near a state of John Robinson is, is getting fired. Right. We're nowhere near Amy saying, okay, this is you got to fix this problem. Because it's not overall, when you look at the body of work of free agency, of the draft, of the decisions he made to bring in Mike Vrabel, the decisions he made on to help make with the coaching staff and, and get this team correct. This It's not all just Ryan Tannehill. He did the Ryan Tannehill trade, obviously, but if he hadn't made that trade, this was still a team that was winning 
seasons in a row, stockpiling them on top of each other. You can't ignore all the good and just say, well, if it wasn't for, you know, Ryan Tannehill, John Robinson wouldn't, we'd be an awful team. No, that's not true. It's not just that. Derrick Henry, second round. Let's not forget that one. I mean, it's just, I get it. You want to see, as a fan, you want to see more from your first round picks. But it's it's the draft and scouting is not a perfect science. You can ask the Patriots. The Patriots have been one of the worst drafting teams under Bill Belichick's reign for a long time, and they have Super Bowls. The draft is just one part of being a GM and one part of the game. It is not time to panic over every little thing like this. Do you really want Dez Fitzpatrick to be on the 53 just because he's a fourth-round pick? Like, that's where I stand on it. And no, I don't care what round pick you are. I don't want Racy McMath on this team. I don't want Dez Fitzpatrick taking up a roster spot. I don't know. I know Brady Breeze is about to be the first one off the uh, B-cut once the COVID list people start coming off. That's fine. I want the best 53, not just the 53 that are have draft picks attached to them. So you bring up kind of the last place I was going to go, which is the end of your article that you've got titled What's Next. You mentioned Racy McMath. You got Matt, Matt Barkley obviously listed. There's a, there's a few players out there that are kind of in limbo as some of these players come off reserve COVID lists. Is there anyone on this list that you would like to see the Titans try to find a way to keep on practice squad or whatever it may be, you know, even though that they're probably on the chopping block? Well, I, th- I think you're going to see Racy McMath uh, pr- probably get on the practice squad. Matt Barkley, who has accrued seasons, doesn't have to go through waivers, so they can automatically just put him on the practice squad, which would right. be great. You know, obviously other teams can sign them and and all that. That's fine. You know, if someone signed Matt Barkley, it's not the end of the world, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think Racy McMath will go on the practice squad. I think Daniel Munyer, depending on his status, he will go on the practice squad. And I, I think that Brady Breeze, I think anybody with a draft pick that is getting cut, like those guys, uh, Brady Pick, Brady, Brady Breeze, and Racy McMath, and Des Fitzpatrick will all go to the practice squad. Because they obviously, this team saw something in them to draft him, right? Let them get healthy. Let them learn some stuff. Let them get their feet under them. And maybe that you get to see some returns in year two and year three. I think Makai Sargent and Kim, Makai Sargent, I, I really do kind of, and this is speculation, but Evans hasn't been healthy. And I kind of do think that Darrington Evans goes to IR. And even if he doesn't, this team has kept four running backs and a fullback quite a few times last year on the active roster. And I don't think that he heads to the practice squad. I think he gets the stick. And I think McNichols gets the stick as well. I just don't think Makai Sargent will be active. I think it will be McNichols active as the third running back. Cam Batson is the one that I think does end up going back to the practice squad. He has found a nice home on the practice squad. He's very comfortable there. He gets put there all the time by the Tennessee Titans and brought back up. Now, obviously, that hinges on whether Marcus Johnson or Josh Reynolds goes to IR because if one of those guys go to IR, he's destined to stick around. But Cam Batson did enough to at least make this initial 53 and this team does like that he is comfortable in this offense. So, yeah, I, I think it, you'll see most of these guys 
make it through waivers and land on our practice squad. The article is titled Titans Cut Down Analysis. Obviously, it's uh, up there at Broadway Sports Media by Zach. Really good job with this. Uh, and again, I'm going to say thank you to Music City Audibles. Justin Mello and Justin Graver, the two Justins. Can we call them Just Jess? I'm going to call them Just yeah, Jess. That's awful. I like it. I mean, I'm going to throw that out there. But uh, again, Music City Audible. Find it at Broadway Sports Media. As you can find us. All another F words. I hope it ends We're brought to you by Bickham, uh, Bishop Sycamore. We're not. But if you want to send us money or help us start a fake high school, we'll do that with you. Um, thank you for tuning in as always. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Come check us out at Broadway Sports Media. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your week because you've just been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.